Matthew chapter number 28 is where we're going to be at today. And uh, been trying trying today to just kind of focus and to think on what this day is about, to contemplate and to think about uh, uh, the work that God did in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago that has made all this possible. The reason behind everything that we're doing, as Lo said a little bit ago, uh, we've been so busy this past week. I feel like I haven't really been able to do it justice as well. I mean, I would like to each day kind of have a little bit of time to set out and contemplate the events that would have taken place that day and think about what was going on with Jesus and his disciples. And I tell you, unfortunately, it just seems like there are so many other things that were competing for my time and my attention. And I don't like that. Sometimes life gets busy that way. And I'll tell you, we're not confined to just specific times and holidays and whatnot. But I do find all the way through the Old Testament that God had his people setting up uh, memorials and setting up festivals and feasts and all these different things to cause them to meditate on what he has done and on his goodness. And so I think it is very much a biblical thing and it is a good thing for us to have these seasons like this where we do just take off and uh, take aside just a little bit and think about what God has done and recount it in our minds and to meditate on it a little bit. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be this week. We could do it anytime. But I do think it does us good as Christians to uh, to think about, to meditate on the mighty works of God and all the great things that he has done for us. But anyway, as we have been in uh, uh, the scriptures this week, we've kind of had a focus on the resurrection. Last Sunday, we were looking at the uh, triumphal entry or uh, Palm Sunday, as some people would call it. And we saw how uh, all of the disciples had such great expectations. And not just the disciples, there were many other people that had expectations for Jesus. But unfortunately, their expectations were self-contrived. They were uh, made of their own selves, what they thought that Jesus was going to be. And we are guilty of having expectations, having expectations that are put up on us or that we put up on others. And a lot of times they're not communicated and we end up uh, either not meeting expectations and not having our expectations met. And it brings about uh, sorrow and bitterness and all kinds of different things. And so in the, the disciples case and the other people surrounding Jesus, they had expectations for Jesus that went unmet initially. But we find that Jesus exceeds our expectations, that oftentimes our script, our plan, the way we have contrived in our mind for things to work out, uh, doesn't even begin to compare to the things that God has planned out, the things that he has in store for us. We look at our life in the current position and place that we're at and say, God, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't working out the way I thought it should. But my advice in that circumstance, in that situation is just hold on, just wait, let God do what God does, and he will work all things together in his time. And so we need to trust him, we need to depend on him, we need to rely on him, we need to let him be the author, we need to let him be God, because he is God and we are not. And so uh, Wednesday we looked at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Wednesday we were looking at the first Passover, we've been studying through uh, Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus B.C. is what we called it. So Wednesday night, we looked at the Passover all the way back in Egypt and how it so closely paralleled 
the death of Jesus and his resurrection, how it foretold, how it showed them what Jesus was going to do, how he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so this week, what we're going to be looking at is the resurrection. I believe the resurrection is the most important event that has ever happened amongst mankind. We could say maybe creation would have been more important because none of it would have happened without creation. But even above that, I believe the fact that God would condescend down to us, that he would leave the glories of heaven to die for sinful man so that we can have eternal life, so that we can one day be in his presence and we can bask in his glory. That is just mind-blowing to me. And so that God would do that for mankind, that makes it the most important event in human history in my mind. And so uh, all the rest of the things, his life and uh, his virgin birth and all of his miracles and even his death still don't match up to the power of the resurrection. And so with us today, we're going to be looking at the resurrection and we are going to look at some of the things that I know because of the resurrection. Okay? And so let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, beginning in verse number one. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, and lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go to Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, Spoke, uh, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you once again, Lord. Just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this day and what it means to us and how we can reminisce and we can 
meditate. We can celebrate the great work that you did almost 2,000 years ago. We pray, Lord, help it not to become old news. Help it not to uh, become something that uh, we we just go by in passing, Lord, but help it to be fresh in our minds. Help it to be uh, lifted up and great in our minds, Lord, that you loved us so much, that you did so great a thing for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would work in this service today. Touch the hearts of your people, Lord, draw them closer to you. Lord, renew the awe and the amazement and the splendor of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I just pray that you'd speak through me today. I recall to my mind the things that we've studied, Lord, and I just pray that you'd help your people. And I pray so much today, if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day they'd place their faith in you and the work that you did on the cross, Lord. And Lord, that they would have their sins forgiven, their souls saved, their eternity secured, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage leading up to it, was a time of great grief and turmoil, okay? The disciples had reached the pinnacle of excitement last week, okay? Whenever they were entering into Jerusalem, whenever the crowds were coming out and were hailing Jesus as a king, they said, this is our moment. This is the time. This is what we've been waiting for. Jesus is ready to ascend to the throne. He's ready to overthrow the enemies. He's ready to be seated on high. He's ready to bring us up to these places, exalt us to these places where we can rule and reign with him on this earth. Things are getting ready to happen. And they were right and wrong at the same time. Because things were getting ready to happen, but as we said last week, it wasn't what they expected. And so they went from this pinnacle of thinking, this is it, from this excitement, thinking things are going to start taking place, business is going to pick up, to about the middle of the week, the depths of despair. Mm -hmm. Because so quickly after the people were lauding Jesus as being the king, as being the deliverer, they quickly turned against him, and within days they shouted, crucify him. And so the very Jesus they were expecting to be on the throne went to the cross. That wasn't their plan. And so as he was being arrested, they said, okay, this is when the fight begins. And Jesus says, put your swords away. That would have been confusion. Jesus was led into the, the judgment hall. He was arraigned before the leaders. He was condemned to die. He was beaten. He was all these different things. And then he was taken to the cross and carried his cross up Calvary and was hung out there for God and man to see. And then about the third hour, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost (coughs) and died with all of their hopes and all of their dreams and all of their expectations laid dead on that cross. And so some of them went and hid. Some of them were afraid. Most of them were afraid. But there were others that came out, begged the body, prepared it for the burial, and put it in a tomb. They said, well, he wasn't the one. He wasn't what we thought that he was going to be, but still he was our friend, so we respect him, and so we're going to give him a proper and decent burial. He doesn't deserve what he's went through. And so they bound him up, they buried him, and they expected that to be the end of it. And so imagine in your minds what it would have been like for the disciples. Imagine what was going on in their heads whenever they were trying to process all the events of that week. They went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in such a short amount of time. Could you imagine the depression and the defeat and the difficulties that they were going through? 
All, they couldn't even process what had happened. They couldn't process the events, and they were questioning everything. It seemed as if evil had prevailed. It seemed as if everything was a lie. It seemed as if nothing was going right. We find in Luke chapter 24, down in verse number 21, that after Jesus has rose from the grave, that he meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. And he says, what manner of conversation is this that you have between you two, that you walk together and you're so sad? And they said, you must be a stranger in this place. Have you not heard what has happened? This one who we trusted to be the one that would deliver us has been killed. You can hear the despair in their voices. We trusted, past tense. We believed, past tense. Mm -hmm. We thought, past tense. You know what that means? It ended. Yeah. We no longer trust that he was the one. Our hopes and dreams have been dashed. We have lost all hope that this Jesus is who he said that he was. We've lost all hope of deliverance. Mm -hmm. We've lost faith in God. Because wicked men have prevailed. The enemy is winning. Jesus is dead. And so do we know anything now? And so everything was being called into question. They were shell-shocked. They were numb. And they were wondering, what is next? What's going to happen to us? And so I don't think we can even begin to comprehend the feelings, the emotions, the things that were going on in their heads. But nothing was going to be able to prepare them for what was going to happen that Sunday morning. Right. It's amazing how quickly things change. They went from the heights of excitement to the depths of despair, and then back again. I mean, they were probably emotionally spent, right? Yeah. And the events of that day was going to stick with them throughout the rest of their life. They were never going to get over it. We find as they are preaching and teaching, the central theme of their message is this day. Mm -hmm. Even in Sunday school, in the passage that we looked at, whenever it says that uh, they, they, gave, they were given boldness and they spoke of the resurrection. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is something that is a repeated theme throughout the messages that they would preach. This is what it tells us is that the gospel is that he, was, uh, he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Without that third one, the first two mean nothing, right? And so, as I said, I believe his resurrection is more important than his birth, than his life, even with his death, because even though both of them were necessary, it was the resurrection that made all the difference. Right. And so what is it that was so important about the resurrection? What is it that the resurrection teaches me? What is it that it tells me? So some lessons from the empty tomb. The first thing that I find here is that the resurrection proved Jesus's identity. Mm -hmm. It proved his identity. It proved that he was who he said that he was. Right. Because wasn't that the question in their mind? We trusted that this was the one. And you were right to do so. He was the one, right? Mm -hmm. It proved his identity. All throughout history, all throughout the ages, there has been countless billions of men and women who have been born on this earth. Yeah. Many people have lived, have died, and have been buried. Right. But he is the only one who has brought himself back from the grave. Right. Yes, he brought others back from the grave, but no one else besides him was capable of laying down his life 
and taking it up again because he was indeed the Son of God. He was the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. And he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Mm-hmm. And so there have many, been many people who have made claims, great and bold claims of saying that they were someone who was able to do something. There are pharaohs that said that they were gods. There are men who claim to be the Christ. There are false messiahs down throughout history. There are kings and, and leaders. There are so many men who claim to be something great. And none of them were able to overcome the grave. There's been religious leaders. There have been people who claim to be prophets. And they are dead and buried and they are going to remain there. But Jesus rose again. If it wasn't for the resurrection, he would just be another false prophet, another false messiah, another maybe a good teacher, maybe an inspirational speaker, but just another man. Mm -hmm. But the resurrection sets him apart. He didn't stay dead. Jesus told them before he died, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. He told them, I have the power to lay this body down, and I have the power to take it back up again. Mm -hmm. And he proved that he did indeed have that power. So his resurrection set him apart. It proves that he's who he said that he was. It proves that he wasn't merely a man, wasn't just some miracle worker, wasn't just a Johnny-come-lately, but he is the Son of God, and he is alive forevermore. The second thing that we find is that it proves that salvation is available. Mm-hmm. During Jesus' life, he made a lot of great claims, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Whenever he was still alive, some of the statements that he made, he says, I come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Where would that be if he stayed in the grave? Mm-hmm. He said that he was the door. He said he was the way and the truth and the life. He said that he was living water. He said that his flesh was meat indeed and his blood was drink indeed. He made all kinds of statements throughout his life. He said that he was going to prepare a place. He told the thief on the cross, I will see you today in paradise, right? He made a lot of statements. He made a lot of promises. And those would have been empty promises had he not risen from the dead. The resurrection proved that indeed the price was paid. Whenever he... Was uh, whenever he was still hanging up on the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, paid in full, right? right. And the resurrection proved that the payment was accepted. Mm-hmm. It proved that Jesus had satisfied fully the price that needed to be paid, that God accepted the payment, and that he acknowledged it by raising up Christ from the dead, proving forever that Jesus was a victor over sin and over hell, and over death. The grave couldn't hold him. Hell had no part of him. Corruption could not set in because he had paid the price. He had come to do what he set out to do, and his work was finished. It was complete. There was nothing else left to do, and he was resurrected. Because he lives, we shall live. Eternal life is available because of him. The third thing that we find is that the resurrection proves that God knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Have you ever questioned whether God knows what he's doing? Yeah. Mankind has done this plenty of times throughout history. Things happen. Tragedies take place. 
And mankind's response is, where was God? How could God let this happen? What is God doing? Does he even exist? Right? And so we look at the small picture. We look at event by event. God looks at the big picture. Mm -hmm. Our view is so small, and God's is comprehensive. And so we look at the little things, and we see it as chaos. We see it as out of control. But we find that he knows what he's doing. And I know this ties into last week's message, but as the disciples were looking on and everybody else was looking on, they saw failure. They saw chaos. Jesus wasn't able to deliver. He wasn't able to live up to all the things that he had said. He wasn't able to make happen all the things that he had promised. And so everything was a mess. Everything had gone wrong. It couldn't get any worse, and they didn't see any way it was going to get better. Wouldn't that be their perspective? And then everything changed. Right. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And slowly, they began to recall things. Mm-hmm. They started to remember things that had happened, things that Jesus had said, and all of the pieces started falling into place. It started to make sense. And so they were able to say he knew what he was doing all along. He said that this was going to happen. He came to do this. And they started making all the connections. Could you imagine how their minds were just going crazy with drawing all of the connections, all the parallels from all of the Old Testament, all of the prophecies, all of the teachings of Jesus. And he said, this is what it all meant. He knew what he was doing. Surprise. Bible tells us that he's working all things together for our good. He doesn't say that all things are going to be good. But he is a good God. He is a powerful God. And he is able to take the evil and bring about good. He's able to take the difficult and bring about victory. Right? Only God can take a grave and make it a trophy of grace. Mm -hmm. Only God can take a cross and make it the symbol of hope and of love. We got this little heart thing, right? Everybody says, oh, this represents love. Whoever came up with that shit? You know what represents love? It's the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is love. Only God can do that. And guess what? He knows what he's doing. And if mankind was writing this story, there's no way we'd write it this way. Right. And there's no way it would work. But God knows how to fold it all together. He knows how to make it work. He knows what he's doing. And so that goes along with the next point. It proved that God is in control. Oh, yeah, definitely. It proved that God is in control. Yeah. His will will be done. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that Satan can do to prevent him from doing what he has set in place. Satan has tried from the very beginning. He has levied all the forces of hell against the plans of God, and time and again, he loses. (laughs) Satan is the biggest loser in history. Y'all realize that? Every time he thinks he has the upper hand, God uses what Satan's doing, folds it into his plan, and makes it a victory on his behalf. Every time Satan kicks a goal, God makes it go in his side, right? And so everything that Satan does, 
God makes go for good. And so he is in control even whenever it seems that everything is going crazy, even whenever the world is in chaos, even whenever all things are lost, all things are unredeemable by our measure, whenever things seem impossible, God is right in the midst of it working. He won't allow Satan to stop him. We know that evil will never prevail. You look at Pilate and Annas and Caiaphas and all these different guys and say, look at what they did. Look at all how how corrupt it is, how wicked it is. Look at what they're doing to God and to God's people. And God says, it's okay. I'm still in control. They just think they are, right? You look at the politicians today, the governments, the corruption going on around the world. A lot of people think they're in control. Mm-hmm. They're not. If you ever get the false idea that you are in control of anything, you've done lost the plot. Yes, God's given us a free will. Yes, we can make some decisions. But there are so many different variables in every aspect of our life that we have no control over that we lose control like that. Every time we, it's like grasping for straws. Mm -hmm. Evil won't prevail. Religion and corruption won't win. Governments can't cancel him out. Right? Right? He's in control. Here's something that's a great blessing to me. Not even his people's failures and incompetence can cause his plans to fail. You look at his disciples. What a great group of people, right? Peter denying him, running off. Mark fled away naked, right? There's a lot of weird stuff going on. They were really struggling, right? They didn't know what they were doing. You ever get the idea that you don't know what you're doing? You ever get the idea that I don't? (laughs) Anyway, we're just stumbling through life in the dark. We're out of control. We don't know what's going on. We try to pretend that we do. We try to do great things for God, attempt to do great things for God. Watch what I'm going to do. You fall on your face, right? Mm -hmm. And in spite of all of our failures, in spite of our weakness, in spite of all of the false attempts that we make and the troubles and trials and the incompetence on our behalf, God still brings about his will and his purpose. I've said oftentimes what what God does isn't because of us, it's in spite of us. You look through the New Testament and you look at the people that he uses. He works in spite of us. Mm -hmm. And if we start getting prided up, if we start getting arrogant, if we start thinking that we have done something great on our own, we're mistaken. Mm -hmm. It's God working through us and in us and in spite of us. God is in control, and this proves it. If any of these disciples, his inner circle, his main guys, the ones that thought it was up to them to make this happen, if they got it their way, they would have messed it all up. Yeah. It worked according to God's plan in spite of all their best efforts. Right. And so it proved that God was in control. It proved that he's going to keep his promises. It proved that his plan is going to be done. Not one prophecy will fail. Not one of his promises will be left unkept. Yeah. He is in control. He knows what he's doing. The fifth thing 
We're just kind of building with this. It proved that nothing is impossible with God. Right. Nothing is impossible with God. Can you think of a more impossible circumstance than Jesus in the grave, the disciples fled, all the enemies celebrating? There was probably a party going on in hell. I don't know. Annas and Caiaphas, they thought that, that Jesus was no longer going to be a thorn in their side, that they could go ahead and prosper with all the plans that they had. They Their threat had been eliminated, right? Mm-hmm. They're celebrating going on. Death seems so permanent for us, right? Oh, yeah. It's the exclamation point at the end of life. Yeah. Or for some, it's the question mark, right? But it seems so permanent, so final. But... It was no match for Jesus. Right. If we would go to a funeral and the person would set up in the casket, we'd flip out, wouldn't we? Yeah. It's not expected, that's for sure. I heard a story that said that a pastor was preaching and he stopped in the middle of it and he said, what would you like for people to say during your funeral? Some said, oh, what a good parent he was or what a good person he was. And the third person said, he's moving. You don't expect someone to resurrect. You don't expect death to be temporary. Nothing is impossible with God. Even death is powerless against Him. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how things can change in such a short amount of time with God. Mm -hmm. All things were hopeless. And three days later, hope was bountiful. It was endless because Jesus was alive. And so in our lives, we look at our circumstances. We say things are hopeless. We say the odds are stacked against us. We say that there is no way God can bring about good. There's no way God can work in this situation. There's no good that I can see coming out of this. But the Bible tells us that with God, nothing shall be Impossible. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that he's our genie doing what we please. But instead, whenever we serve him, we can put our lives in his hands. If he wants, he can bring us through the fire. If he wants, he can bring us through the lion's den. If he wants, he can bring us back from the dead. And if he wants, he can give us grace and peace to face even the most torturous and horrible ends. But it is up to God, and he is able to do the impossible. If God be for us, who can be against us? He knows what he's doing. He's in control. There's nothing that's too hard for him. And so we can trust him to do what only he does. The sixth thing, you're starting to wonder how many numbers I have, right? I'm not telling. The sixth thing, (laughs) the resurrection proved God's patience. Mm. It proved his patience. Are you glad that God's patient? Yes, very much. Glad he's long-suffering. He suffered more with some other, some than others, right? Mm-hmm. He's patient. Because whenever he resurrected, okay, he had the angel to roll away the stone, set on the stone, confront the women whenever they came to the tomb, right? Mm-hmm. It tells us in another passage, one of the parallel passages, that whenever Mary came, 
She met Jesus in his glorified body and didn't didn't recognize him probably through the tears and through the disbelief. She didn't recognize him and she thought he was the gardener. She said, if you have borne him hence, show me where you've laid him and I'll go and bury him. Right? They were coming expecting a dead body. The women were coming trying to figure out how to roll away the stone. They were going to anoint the dead body. They were expecting a dead body. But what had Jesus told them? Repeatedly. He says, I will rise again. They're going to kill me, but it won't be permanent. I will rise again. And all of his followers missed it. They didn't listen. You know who actually caught on to it? His enemies. His enemies said, we remember while he was yet alive that he said that he was going to rise from the dead. Let's set a watch over him. You have to guard a grave. I mean, is that a normal thing, guarding a grave? Let's set a watch over him so the disciples don't steal his body away and say that he resurrected. His enemies were listening. His disciples weren't. And so the women went halfway in disbelief. They told the disciples, and what was the disciples' response to the women? They didn't believe. They said, oh, you emotional women, you're just seeing things. (laughs) Right? They dismissed it. And then whenever Peter and John ran, John records this for us, and he he just has to record that he outran Peter. But anyway, (laughs) they run to the tomb, Peter goes inside, and he's trying to make sense of it. The grave clothes are still here. The napkins folded up here. What in the world happened? The women told you he resurrected. Right? And John, it says John believed. Peter was still questioning. They come back and tell everybody else. They don't believe. Jesus appears to them behind locked doors. And they think he's a ghost. And then they finally believe after he eats with them and lets them touch him. And then they tell Thomas, And Thomas says, nope, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe until I thrust my hand into his side and I feel the nail prints in his hand, then I will believe. Then he appears to Thomas. Mm -hmm. You get the point that these guys were dense? And I'm not insulting them, we're dense too. (laughs) But God is so patient with us. God is so long-suffering with us. Honestly, if I would have, and I praise the Lord that I'm not, but if I would have been the Lord, I would have said, forget you guys, right? Did you not hear a word that I said? Have you not been with me for three and a half years and realized that I do the impossible? And you doubt me time and time and time again, over and over, and you keep bumbling and fumbling around. You're a mess. Forget you guys. I want to find somebody else. He doesn't do that. Instead, he deals gently and patiently, bringing them along and guiding them and growing them and helping them in their unbelief. And praise the Lord, he does that for us as well. And I am thankful that he is patient. Because believe me, I do a lot more stupid things than they did. (laughs) I struggle more than they did. And I praise the Lord that he is patient with me. Mm -hmm. The last thing that we have today we find that it proves that unbelief is a matter of will, not a matter of evidence. 
Unbelief is a matter of will, not a matter of evidence. If we were to look at the resurrection, in the story that is still proclaimed amongst the Jewish people to this day, there is not a credible historian that will deny the existence of a man named Jesus. They will not deny that he was a religious teacher. They will not deny that there were miracles attributed to him. They will not deny that he was killed, executed, and they won't deny that his body disappeared. That is a matter of historical fact. Okay? Mm -hmm. There are secular references. There are records of it. Jesus, his life, his death, and the empty tomb are a fact. But where the question comes in is what happened to the body? And so the story we find here in Matthew 28 is that the guards claimed that they fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body away. We've already talked a lot about the disciples. They're not exactly the most competent group. How are they going to take on a battalion of Roman soldiers and steal away a dead body? On top of that, what's in it for them? Why would they steal the dead body of Jesus. What did they have to gain from it? And if they had pulled it all off in their best attempt, would not the Romans or the Jews have either found the body? Would not at least part of them have recanted or changed their mind whenever they realized that it was going to cost them the lo- the their wealth, their livelihoods, their reputations, their place in society, and ultimately their lives. Mm -hmm. They had absolutely nothing to gain from a dead Jesus. But it's unexplainable the fact that these trembling and bumbling and fearful disciples suddenly had a boldness, suddenly had power, suddenly had a determination to hold up the fact that Jesus was resurrected and that he was the son of God and that he brought salvation so much so that they bet their lives on it, that they gave everything that they had all the way up to their martyrdom. Mm -hmm. John is the only one who died a natural death, and that was after plenty of punishment in between. Exactly. They had nothing to gain from an empty tomb. Unless Jesus did, in fact, resurrect. Mm -hmm. On top of that, what soldier is going to admit falling asleep on the job? And if they were asleep, how do they know it was the disciples? And if, well, we're ifing here, if they had fell asleep and the disciples took them away, how did they live? Because the punishment for deserting your post would surely be death. Mm -hmm. Right? So many holes in it all. And so we find that it wasn't the fact that there was, well, not a fact. It wasn't the problem of evidence. Think about the Roman soldiers who saw saw the angel roll away the stone. They trembled. They fell down as dead men. Right? They knew that the disciples didn't steal the body, but that was the story that they continued to tell. 
They knew that Jesus resurrected, but yet they rejected him. That's crazy, isn't it? Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they paid the soldiers off after they testified of the resurrection and told them to lie about it. They knew. They knew the scriptures. They knew the word. They knew what was happening. They knew that Jesus rose from the dead, and yet they rejected him. The problem of unbelief and rejection of the Lord isn't because of the lack of evidence. It is willful rejection of the truth. And there are plenty of people today who willfully reject God that are willfully ignorant of the facts, who will tell us, prove to me, show me, but they've already got their minds made up, and they refuse Jesus And there is no way, no evidence that is going to convince them otherwise. Mm -hmm. As Jesus mourned over Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have taken you and covered you as a hen does her chicks, and ye would not. It was a matter of will. He says, I've done everything. I've showed everything. I've given you proof. I've dealt with you graciously and abundantly, and yet you still reject me. It is not a matter of evidence. It is a matter of will. They will not. Mm -hmm. Whenever the rich man went to hell, he prayed that God would send Lazarus to his brother. And God, well, Abraham he was talking to. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. They have proof. They have evidence. Let them hear them. And they said, no, if someone rose from the dead, they would hear And Abraham tells them that if they won't listen to the word of God, if what he has recorded and showed and revealed, if the evidence that he has given is not enough, they won't believe though someone rose from the dead. And we might scoff at that and say, oh, if someone rose from the dead, Jesus rose from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead. And yet they would not. God has given plenty of evidence. He's given plenty of proof. But the old saying goes that there is none so blind as those who will not see. Mm -hmm. And so we find in this, the resurrection is proof that it's not a matter of evidence, it's a matter of will. So as we look through all of these things, the resurrection is important, it is valuable. It tells us so much about God and about us. Tells us that he is who he said that he was. He accomplished what he set out to do. He provided salvation to whosoever will. He knows what he's doing. He is in control. He is patient with us far beyond reason. And yet mankind still reject him. Christians still question him and doubt him. And the resurrection should take away all of that. Mm -hmm. We serve a mighty God. We serve a good God. We serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Mm-hmm. and yet we go in like we're in charge or like we know what we're doing yeah. like he's not really there we doubt him we struggle we fear we use him as a last resort right mm-hmm. so whenever we consider the resurrection consider the one who did it all yeah Consider who he is and what he has done. And as Christians, put your faith and trust in him 
daily to take care of you, to watch over you, to walk you through anything and everything. Mm -hmm. Trust his plans, whether your day is good or whether it's bad, whether your circumstances are good or whether you're bad or whether they're bad, you can still trust him. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your savior, if you don't know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is going to be your home, what are you waiting for? The empty tomb proves that he is who he said that he was and that he is able to save you to the uttermost. It's not by works of righteousness that you have done, but it is because of what Jesus has done for you. Yeah. Put your faith and trust in him alone. Yes. Not your works, not church, not religion, not anything else. Put your faith and trust in him alone to forgive your sins, to yes. save your soul, to secure your place in heaven. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. Let's go to the prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this time today in your word. We thank you for this time in your house, Lord. We thank you so much for these truths, Lord, that we find from the resurrection, Lord. How powerful it is, how great it is. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to be patient with us. Help us, Lord, to meditate on these things. Lord, help us to see you for who you are. Help us, Lord, to trust you not just for salvation, but for every area of our life, every day of our life. And Lord, we thank you so much for all you do. And at least I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.